We're going to be in the book of Micah. Micah, we're preaching this summer through the minor prophets. They're the little teeny books at the end of the Old Testament. And so I would encourage you to turn to Micah. Uh, We'll be bouncing around in Micah a little bit. It's okay to use the index at the front of your Bible if you have to. These are little books and it's easy to thumb right past them. Micah chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. There is the intro to Micah. We don't know very much about him. The kings listed there put him in the 700s. B.C., though some scholars think that maybe Micah wrote a core of the book and some pieces were added later on. I don't know how people know that, but that's what some say. He's from the town of Morasheth, uh, which is just fun to say, Morasheth. Uh, it's a town about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. In all likelihood, he probably traveled up to Jerusalem for his prophetic work. Uh, and then back home to Morasheth. He is a prophet during the divided kingdom. So the northern part of Israel is typically called Israel, and the southern part of Israel is typically called Judah. So that's why sometimes the language uh, can get a little confusing. And uh, sometimes the area in the middle at this time is called Samaria, and that's where people who are not taken from Israel up into Babylon uh, were, uh, were left. And so um, you hear that language. Um, It's interesting, Micah is from the south, he's from Judah. But as you read prophecies, he sort of bounces back and forth. He prophesies against both the north and the south. In his time, Assyria is the growing power to the east and to the north of Judah. Um, And indeed, in 701 B.C., uh, the, the, the smaller the southern part called Judah, is overrun by the Assyrians. And 46 cities are totally destroyed. The only reason Jerusalem wasn't destroyed is because King Hezekiah paid a bunch of money to make sure that it wasn't destroyed. And it really kind of wiped out Israel's finances at that point. Micah is concerned with what Israel should be doing. Will Israel survive this coming power? How can God use a nation that is so bad and so cruel at this time. So what I want to do is kind of today fly over the book of Micah, and we're just going to kind of touch down, land on a couple texts, so you get the big understanding, and there's, there's one core text we're going to spend a little more time on. There's a difficult time in Israel's history, because actually things are going pretty well. There's a bit of a revival going on with these kings. The temple is in use and is a little more full. The budget is in a little bit of a surplus for the, nation, for the, for the area of Judah. Okay, things are actually going pretty well. But there are a number of problems listed here in Micah about how Israel is acting. There's the oppression of the poor, corrupt courts and judges, dishonest commercial practices. People are cheating each other in business. False prophecy greedy priests and temples, a loss of order in the community, 
And Micah even says there is a hatred of God's judgment and God's justice and God's commandments. And so, in Micah's understanding, God is going to give the people over to this, the Assyrians. He's going to give them over to the judgment of this nation that is rising up. He's not going to protect them. In fact, he's going to use this nation to judge them. How will they deal with this current reality? See, even though things are going well in Israel, there's a tension. There are nerves. There's this feeling that it's going well, but it could all come crashing down at any moment. There's an insecurity going on. An insecurity probably that comes from mistreating other people and realizing at any moment you could be the one mistreated. It's very interesting to read the Minor Prophets and think about where we are as a nation today and wonder if some of the insecurity that we feel, even though we are an amazingly wealthy nation, um, doesn't parallel some of these things for Judah and for Israel at the time. But this book is not all about judgment. The idea is that God will save a remnant. And Micah and the prophets love this term remnant. Do you understand that term? Whenever you cut a piece of cloth or you cut a carpet or something like that, there's always pieces left over. The pieces that don't quite fit. You know what I mean? The leftovers. We call it a remnant. And you can normally buy remnants fairly cheap, right? Because they don't fit. You can't cut them to the right size. You just buy them as they are. And that's the metaphor the prophets consistently use for what God is going to save out of Israel. He's going to save a remnant. There's going to be some leftovers that God is going to spare from what's coming. Listen to these great words in Micah chapter 4, if you're following along. Micah chapter 4. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains. It shall be lifted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. The many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, and that we may walk His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And He shall judge between many peoples, shall decide for strong nations far away. Then they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, nor shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken." Micah has this vision, this idea he's trying to implant in the people's heads, right? That there are days coming. There are days coming that won't be like this. That won't be so insecure. That won't be so worrisome. Where people will worship God at Jerusalem. Where people will learn about God's ways and follow God's paths. This coming day of the Lord when God will judge the nations and the people and there will be peace. You won't have to have an army anymore. You won't have to learn how to fight. You won't have to have swords. There'll be peace. You'll make them into plowing instruments. No more spears. You'll have to, to use your spears. You'll have to bend them so that you can use them for pruning. No more need for spears. No more need for fighting. No more need for the nations to fight against one another. No more need for there to be fear. 
for God will rule. This amazing vision of a future that it's even hard for us today to grasp. I've got a great picture of this. This is a bullet casing. It'll be on the communion table. You're not going to be able to see it real well from here. But this is a bullet casing from a civil war in Liberia. Okay? And uh, civil war, the problem always with civil wars is the enemy is your brother. The enemy is your cousin. The enemy is somebody you know. And so one of the things that the Christians did after this brutal civil war in Liberia is they had all these casings, all these bullet casings, these bullet shells, and they folded them into crosses. I don't know if you can see it, but it's gonna, there's two of them, and they'll be on the communion table when you come forward. But they took this bullet casing and they made it into a cross. This great symbol of peace, right? That a symbol of war could become a symbol of peace. That's the imagery that Micah is using here. No more swords. No more spears. Those are going to be instruments of farming, instruments of peace. And I just love this symbol, this future reality that we can look forward to where there will be no more war. There will be no more insecurity where we will be able to have peace and trust God with peace. Now, how is this reality going to come into play? Well, turn over to Micah 5 and I'm going to start in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. There will be, there shall, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And then sh- they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, where have you heard that before? The Christmas story, right? The wise men follow the star, trying to find who this Messiah is to be born, but they don't know where he's going to be born. So they go to Jerusalem and ask the king, and the king gets his priests and scribes together and say, hey, where is this one to be born? And they say, you know, there's this verse in the book of Micah that says the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's the coming one, the one who will bring peace. He's the one who will be born, right? Until the one given in labor. Jesus is the one who brings this peace. Jesus is the one who sacrifices himself to bring this peace. Let me try to help you understand what Micah is doing. Everybody following me so far? Micah is trying to say, stop worrying about the world you're in right now. And get a sense of something a little bit bigger, a little bit further down the road. What you're going through right now isn't the forever thing. The pain you feel, the stress you feel, the, uh, the hurt you feel right now is not the forever. It's not the forever. Because there's a time coming. Get a picture of this. There's a time coming when that pain is not going to be here anymore. Where that insecurity is not going to be here anymore. And how is it going to get here? Where there's this Messiah going to be born in Bethlehem. You see that? 
There's a Messiah going to be born in Bethlehem. I'm going to win this freedom for you so that you can have a hope and live differently today. See, Israel's caught in there right now. Caught in their pains, caught in their struggles, caught trying to get what they want right now. And Micah's saying, no, 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 no. Let's work this problem backwards, okay? Let's look at the future reality. Let's look at how we're going to get there. And then let's live according to that reality. I've been living this with my family a little bit because we are this fall going to Disney World. Actually, we're going to Florida for for Jillian Ober's wedding. And while we're down there, we're going to get a couple of days at Disney. We're really excited about it. And we have been talking about Disney. I was at Disney as a kid, but nobody else has been. And I don't remember it that much. And it's changed quite a bit since I was there. And so we've been watching YouTube videos about Disney, and we've been getting books about Disney, and we've been trying in our current reality to say, you know what, that's what Disney's going to look like, and this is what Disney's going to feel like, and here's the rides that we want to, but we're not that Disney yet, you understand? We don't get the feeling of Disney. We can only try to imagine what Disney's going to feel like. But then we got to back up, right? Because everybody's been through this, I think, even if not for Disney. There's current realities I've got to live in if I want to go to Disney, right? We can't eat out as much. We can't eat out as much. And we've got to read the books and understand what we're going to do. We've got to plan how we're going to get there. And we've got, to book a, we've got to book a house or a hotel. And we've got to get ourselves set so that we know when, we, when a time comes, we're ready. So we've got to live now in some of this reality of Disney in the fall. This is what Micah is trying to do with Israel. Okay, Disney World's coming, guys. You're stuck here. Disney World is coming, and we better start living as if Disney World is coming. That's Micah's goal. That's what Micah's trying to get them to do. And it all comes to a head in Micah chapter 6. So I want to peer into Micah 6 just for a minute. I'm going to read a couple verses and explain, and then go back and forth a little bit here. Hear what the Lord says. Arise. Plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring fountains of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against His people, and He will contend with Israel. Plead your case. Indictment. What's the metaphor? It's a courtroom. It's a courtroom. Okay, we've looked at this future reality. Messiah going to get us there, and we're backing up now. And what are we saying? God's saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the prosecuting attorney. You mountains and hills, you nature, you world out there, you be the judge. I'm bringing my case against Israel. So the prosecution begins their case. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent you before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balaam the king of Moab devised and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. What's the Lord's case? Remember our history. Israel, I've saved you so many times. I have brought you out. I have guided you. I have been good to you. And look at your current behavior. Are you living faithful to the past that I brought you through? All that I've done for you? And if you're, if you're following along in your Bible, you, you'll see different quotations now. This 
is the answer that this person representing Israel is saying. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now we hear the defense. The defense for Israel doesn't have very much defense. What should I do? What do you want me to do to make this up to God? What do I need to pray? What do I need to give? What do I need to sacrifice? Maybe I'll have to give a bunch of, a bunch of bulls. A bunch of oil. Lots of money. I'll give lots of money and I'll be fine. Maybe I'll give my firstborn. See, that sounds crazy, but to the nations around Israel at this time, you did that. And in fact, those, some of those same gods that you, worship, that you gave your firstborn to are being worshipped in Israel throughout its history. Sometimes you gave your firstborn. What can I give to God to make up for this? But Micah has the answer. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? God doesn't want bribes. He doesn't doesn't want bribes. You think you're going to worship your way to God. It's not how it works. God wants your behavior to be different. And he gives these three great phrases. Do justice, love kindness or mercy, and walk humbly with your God. But the English fails to capture this. Justice is mispot. Mispot. It really means God's order on all life. It means legal justice, but it means more than that. It means every area of life submitting to and falling under God's will and God's purpose and God's plan. It means every inch of this earth and every inch of your life is exactly as God intends for it to be. God's rule and God's will. You're supposed to do that. Take that into action in the world. Mercy and kindness. This is a, a very difficult word to, word to translate in English. The word is chesed. And chesed is really God's loving kindness. Okay? Sometimes it's hurt mercy, kindness. But, but it really is a covenant word. So it's a word that means to be in relationship. And we don't understand covenants because we make contracts. Where you and I make a contract, and if you break your edge, I'm out of my side. But covenant doesn't work like that. Covenant means whatever you do, I'm still, I've promised. I've made my covenant. Covenant means I love, I love you, and I'm in relationship with you, and no matter what, I am there for you. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. And Jerusalem, Israel, is supposed to be in covenant with God and committed to God and committed to one another. And so what does Micah say? Love that kind of relationship. Love the covenant. Don't despise the great relationship with you have with God. Don't despise having to live for God. Love it. Lean into it. And the word walk humbly, humbly is a very complicated word also. It doesn't just mean modesty or in a low manner, self-effacing. We kind of all understand humble But that word humble in Hebrew can also mean being attentive, paying attention, watching. To walk humbly with God means not forgetting about yourself, but also staying in tune with, paying attention to, listening to God. It's not just walking lowly. It's walking with your ears to the ground, 
so that wherever you step, you are trying to step in God's will. That's the only way, by the way, you can, only, you can do the other two. We live in a world that is not very humble, right? Where all kinds of people want justice and they want mercy, they want kindness, but they want justice as they define it. They want mercy as they define it. There's not a lot of, not a, not a lot of humility in politics today. Not a lot of humility in the social sphere today, particularly if you define hum- humility as trying to humbly walk in step with God's will. That's the only way you can really do it because otherwise you're defining your justice and you're defining your kindness and you're kind to who you want to be kind to. But God is purely just and he is purely kind. He is purely merciful and we owe it to him to define that. Maybe the words of Micah can help us here. Maybe we as a people are kind of stuck where we are. And God says, no, 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 there's a future reality, there's a hope you've got to live into that's beyond that. And we need to remember that Disney is coming. That there's a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And all this pain I feel right now and all this anger I might feel right now, there's a time when it will go away. We live on the other side of the payment for that future. Jesus has already paid for that future. So we need to think, Disney's coming. Disney's paid for. We need to live into that reality now. And we need to do justice and love, mercy, and kindness and truly walk humble with God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your love and for your grace. And I pray that you would speak to us Speak to us with your grace and with your mercy and call us to yourself. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.